Hello, hello, welcome, and welcome back to the United Mates Football Podcast. Today, as ever, I'm joined by my co-host Joe, and we are both delighted to have a special guest on the call with us too. He's the presenter of the hugely popular Chelsea Fancast. He also presents the Chelsea Special Podcast, which features interviews with Chelsea legends, and I'm just getting started. In addition to podcasting and blogging for those projects, he writes for Football.London, as well as the CFC UK fanzine. Chidge, it's an absolute pleasure to have you with us. Welcome to the United Mates Football Podcast. How are you doing? Yeah, really good. Lovely to see you too as well. Thank you. No, pleasure is all ours. Like I mentioned, Joe, of course, you are as well on this call today. How have you been? Yeah, I'm good, Kaitel. Um, there's a big game taking place tomorrow um, that I'm sure we'll be talking about in a bit. But yeah, um, yeah, it's great to have you on, Chidge. Um, we always start um, each interview episode um, with an icebreaker. So um, we've had a little look into your Twitter account and we can see there was a... <laughs> picture you you tweeted about fairly recently and it was actually the um, the famous mount gay run but um this is you have to bear with us for this but on a completely different note um in our last episode we were talking um with another chelsea fan about a player called bubba Rahman. Um, so um on the subject of rum and bubba there is a dessert called rum bubba as it as it happens so what we'd like to know is what's your favorite boozy food that's blimey. That's a good one. Boozy food. Oh, well, I mean, actually, I, I technically I'd say tiramisu. That's that is true. Yeah, there is. There yeah. is. That. Did you know that that's Paolo Di Canio's favorite favorite food? If you if you ever, ever read Paolo Di Canio's autobiography, it goes from I mean, just to give you a reminder as to how insane Paolo Di Canio is. It goes from describing sharing a flat with Gianluca Vialli to his love of right-wing politics and Mussolini to the best tiramisu recipe in the world. Oh, my word. That there is you a, go. He's that, bonkers. Yeah, that is that is a pretty bonkers um, autobiography. But no, a good choice in tiramisu. Um, I had to think earlier, I think mine might be a crepe Suzette, which is just mm. a crepe below. Yeah, that, that's mm. very nice. But yeah, um, good. Kai, have you, have you got another boozy food item that, that you like? Chidge took it from me, I'd say, because I was going to say tiramisu too. But now that it sounds like it's a favorite of um, Tecanio's, I might have to be happy to distance myself from that one. <laughs> and, um, I'll just settle for like uh, something else Italian, maybe like a vodka sauce in some for some pasta, something a little bit more savory. Um, so now that we all know about, yeah, the favorite um, boozy foods that we like. Um, let's move on to some football. Um, and a few questions for you, Chidge, about supporting Chelsea and then also covering them too with the content that you produce. But first, yeah, taking it back to the fandom. How did that start? Um, what's your sort of origin story, story, so to speak, when it comes to being a Blues fan? Well, rather odd and, and very much unlike so many of my great mates, you know, who I've been going to for a long time now, who... I sit there and marvel at because they're quite often, you know, second, third, fourth generation fan, uh, Chelsea fans, you know, and they were taken by their dad from the age of five. You know, they're like born into it. They bleed blue. And I got there rather circuitously because I grew up down in Hampshire. My dad was a Portsmouth fan, bless him. And he took me to Portsmouth when I was very, very young. And it was awful. I mean, I'd have been about seven years old and I think they were in the third division 
and even at that age, I knew I knew that I was being served up an absolute load of toilet. Um, and it was really violent as well. And I was really quite small and it scared the hell out of me. And I think he decided that maybe it wasn't a good idea taking his son to the football. And then in 1976, uh, Southampton got to uh, the semi-final of the FA Cup. Now, this kind of gives you, if, if you know your football, you, you'll realise immediately that my dad clearly wasn't much of a football fan because he managed to get tickets to go and see Southampton in a semi-final of an FA Cup. Of course, they hate each other. But um, anyway, he took me along because half of Hampshire went. It was a big event. And of course, it was played at Stamford Bridge. And uh, I, I stood in the shed end pretty near the front watching uh, Southampton beat Crystal Palace. But I, I just fell in love with the ground. I, I'd never been to a, you know, I don't, I don't think I'd been to London much at all by that stage. But it was just that whole experience that every football fan will, will know this experience, you know, walking up, thousands of people walking into a stadium, you know, lots of police horses around, the smell of horse shit and fried onions. And it stays with you. But it wasn't to see Chelsea, but I just fell in love with the ground. I'd never seen anything quite like it. And it was not that long after they'd just built the, the big East stand, which was like a big spaceship, you know, when you're a small kid. And it, and, and I thought, wow. And I, and I was just, I was enamored of, of who, you know, who played there and it was Chelsea. And then, and that was, that was it. Although I never really went much after that because, you know, I lived in Hampshire and I couldn't understand why anybody would spend two hours traveling to a football game. So I kind of watched them on the big match. And, and kind of enjoyed that. Ray Wilkins, people like that were some of my favourite players. Uh, basically, I moved up to London to go to university in the early 80s. And I just so happened to live, uh, you know, about five minutes from the ground. Uh, and I mean, I wasn't anything like all the mates I have now. And I, it wasn't about going every week. I, I'd occasionally go as an excuse to get drunk with a few mates. I didn't have a big f- football friend community at all. Uh, but those are the days when you could wander in and that was great. Um, and then it kind of, kind of really started from there. But I mean, in the 90s, I, I started getting more and more and more into it. And then my brother-in-law uh, or my future brother-in-law, uh, when he met my sister, announced he was a Chelsea fan and said, well, do you go? And I said, well, no, I'm not really, you know, I'm pretty shit, really. I don't ever go much. He said, well, that's disgraceful. He said, are you moving back to London? And I said, well, I am. Yeah. Um, and uh so we made this pact that when I moved back to London, we'd go. And then I ended up getting a season ticket in about 2000, 2001. And, you know, the rest, as they say, is history. So it's been a really circuitous route. And, and, and in a sense, it places me in a kind, of a kind of a weird position, given what I do now. But I have huge admiration and respect for people that have been going to every game since they were five and, it's, and they were born into it. And I just sit there going, I am not worthy. But I also have a huge affinity with a lot of the American listeners that we've got who equally weren't born into it, have hardly been to a game and, and have had a rather circuitous route into it as well. So I'm, I kind of sit in this kind of weird position in the middle. Was there any family tension during the FA Cup final between Portsmouth and Chelsea back in the, what was that, the early 2000s? Yeah. Do you know what, Kai? I'm so glad you asked me that because that's brilliant because... Um, of course, Portsmouth got into the FA Cup final a couple of years before, but <clears throat> and because of what I used to do for work, so I used to make a lot of uh, uh, football, you know, TV football programs. So I knew a lot of people, journalists, players, you name it. Um, and I could have got him a ticket for that, but he was ill. He'd had a, he had a heart problem at the time and he wasn't able to go. Um, and then we ended up playing them in 2000 and 
2010, wasn't it? I think I should know this, but I think it was 2010. And uh, he really wanted to go, you know. And I said, well, I can't, you know, you can't come and sit with me. You're a Portland fan. Piss off, you know. But I said, I'll get you a ticket. And I ended up getting him a ticket because I knew Steve Claridge, uh, who I was working with a lot at the time. And he, uh, I think he's a Portsmouth fan, actually, apart from anything else. But anyway, dad ended up getting a corporate ticket and sitting uh, with Steve Claridge and a whole lot of other ex-players. And bless his heart, he was like a kid, you know. And he was, I was in, I was in, I was behind the goal, I think, uh, for that particular final. And he kept phoning me up you know, telling me how, how much fun he was having. And I, I can't hear a word because, of mm. course, the crowd are really, really loud. I said, Dad, shut up and just go and enjoy it. You know, but it was lovely to kind of pay it back in a way, you know, even though we beat them, which, of course, is quite funny, really, if you think about it. But uh, no, it was good to pay it back. Yeah, sure. lovely. Nice. I seem to remember, I think, Portsmouth missed a penalty that day. They could have gone 1-0 up. They um, could indeed, Joe. They could indeed. And and, and we, we, I mean, the, the two things I remember from that game, obviously Drogba's, you know, free kit, which won it for us. Although we were at the other end, so it was quite hard to see it. The other thing I remember vividly was uh, Botang absolutely crippling Ballack. Michael Ballack. He missed the World Cup. Yeah, he did. And that was his last game for Chelsea. And I loved Michael Ballack hugely. Yeah. He was a great player. And I and I hated Botang ever since because he was a cart horse. And uh, he just he just did him. He just went out to do him. And that's what he did. That's about, that's about all I remember of it, really. Apart from being rather drunk, I expect. Botang. <laughs> very nice well um that game was one of many games um since um well since Abramovich has come to Chelsea where Chelsea have won trophies and experienced a lot of success and I'm I'm sure you've been there for a lot of these very special um, special matches but is there anything you miss about the pre-Abramovich area of supporting Chelsea obviously it's been a great time these last well, coming up to nearly 20 years. But is there anything since Abramovich has come to Chelsea that has changed um, at the club or the way you support them? Uh, lots of things, Joe. I mean, I mean, what you don't miss is, is how violent it was when I first started going um, and how, you know, unsavoury it was. I mean, it was, there were, it was a, I mean, it was a dreadful old stadium, really. I mean, you know, falling down in many respects. But the atmosphere... I mean, there's a bit of a kind of a, the jury's out on that, you know, because it was, it was a very different ground and the atmosphere is great when you're in the middle of it, but it didn't travel so well because it wasn't enclosed. But I mean, you can't take away what, what going to football was like in the seventies and the eighties. It was a complete adrenaline rush and, and that's been totally taken out of the game, completely sanitized, et cetera, et cetera. Now that's not Roman's fault. Um, one of the things I don't like about it is, the fact that there's no perspective anymore, you know, because of all the success that we've had, the minute that we lose a game, you know, there's a complete meltdown by everybody, sack this player, sack that manager, you know, and, and football, you know, you need to have perspective on it because you're not going to win every game. You're not going to win the league every year. You're not, I mean, you know, a lot of Chelsea fans of my vintage, you know, went from 1971 when they won the, you know, the, the European Cup Winners' Cup, to 1997 without winning anything apart from the full members cup which doesn't really count you know that's that's football normality so i get a bit brassed off with the lack of perspective um and i think it's very important to understand the culture of football and i think that the bigger it grows the harder that is but of course the worst thing about modern football is is the way that the money has changed it and which might sound a bit weird as a chelsea supporter but 
you know, football clubs are no longer football clubs and they're no longer football clubs about their community and they're no longer football clubs about the supporters. They are big global brands and businesses and that's what they are. And they don't give a stink about the supporters as a whole. And I think that's hugely sad. And it's made a, there's a massive disconnect now, I think, between a lot of supporters and, and their clubs. And I think that's very sad. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think that's something that supporters across all clubs um, share that view. Um, I think that, yeah, that's sadly a reality of modern day football. But um, Chidge, going back to kind of more about what you do in terms of your job and what Kaitel was talking about earlier, um, you obviously, um, you speak a lot about Chelsea on podcasts and on the radio, and you also write a lot about Chelsea too. Um, do you prefer one form of content over the other, or do you just love the opportunity to kind of articulate your thoughts about Chelsea across whatever platforms it is that you get the chance to do well that's a really good question i mean i i started the podcast in 2008 fundamentally because i was so brassed off making television programs uh and i mean you know if you might think if you're the producer the director it's all about what you want to do but it never is you've got various levels of idiocy above you all wanting to tell you how to make the program that you know how to make better than they do so basically, you have no control. It's not your program. Um, so I think for me, you know, having an, having you know, doing my own podcast was a way for me to write it, present it, have my mates on it who were not going to argue with me, uh, and basically have complete control. So it was quite cathartic, and that's really, I think, when I look back on it, probably why I did it. And I love doing that. The freedom in doing that is is just superb. But what do I, I mean, I do enjoy speaking about football, but I really love writing, actually. You know, I don't like writing for free, I must admit, but I like writing and getting paid for it because there's a real craft to writing and, a, and, a, and, a, and you can express yourself in a very, very different way. And, and, I, and I just love, I love the craft of writing. Um, you know, I think actually if, if, if I, if I kind of, you know, when I come back in my next, as a Buddhist, you know, if I come back in my next life, it won't be, a beetle hopefully it'll it'll be a football a proper football journalist who gets paid loads of money but it's something about writing which i really really like but i love i love the radio and i love the podcasting i mean i love it all i mean you get a chance to talk about football i mean god you know it doesn't get better than that does it yeah which is why uh, thankfully yeah we all find ourselves sort of on this call today indeed um before we move on to a little bit of a game that i prepared um sticking on Chelsea supporting and Joe had mentioned earlier that we had spoken to a Chelsea fan the other day and we did have a lovely conversation about Baba Rahman but one thing that we also talked about was um the celery and I obviously for the Chelsea fan cast that's quite a quite an iconic image that you use in your in your logo along with I believe a pint of Guinness but um otherwise essentially he had plenty of stories this Chelsea fan that we spoke to about the celery but he didn't have the the history behind it so could you basically fill us in on that what what is the deal with the celery wow well it, it, it likes like so many good stories there are many different versions and, and nobody seems to know what the real truth of it was my understanding of it is that it started i mean there, there are kind of several elements to it all right but from my understanding it started really uh on a in the early 80s, I think it was quite possibly a tour to uh, a pre, you know, pre-season tour to Sweden. And there's a legendary supporter called Mickey Greenaway, who is kind of the guy who 
did all the singing uh, going from the 60s through the 70s, you know, a real kind of rabble rouser and got all the singing going. And he went on the preseason tour to Sweden. And I'm, and I'm led to believe that he, he had a little kind of ghetto blaster with him. And he, he had this kind of mixtape of proper old London songs. And there's a, there's a song called Ask Old Brown to Tea. And he changed that to the Celery Song. So that's how the Celery Song kind of, I think that, I think, I mean, you know, there's a brilliant book actually written by some mates of mine, uh, which actually tells the story much better. So I probably got it completely wrong. Actually, I'll show you what it is. There you go. Care, carefree Chelsea Tans, Chance and Terrace Culture. That tells you the definitive story, but that's the version I've heard. Uh, and then there's another version about, and I don't know how true this is, but we played Cambridge United in the early 80s and, I, I, I can't quite remember how, how, it, how it got to this, but apparently they were wading through somebody's allotment and they found loads of celery and they ended up chucking it and stuff at the ground. I don't know, but it's it somehow you kind of merge those two together. You got the song and then, you know, we, we ended up chucking celery. There were even, I mean, there was a whole kind of um, trend in the eighties for taking blow, blow up, plastic blow up things like, you know, blow up five bananas and, and haddocks if you were at Grimsby and all this kind of thing. And you could even get, you know, blow up plastic. I've got, got it somewhere. Lord knows what I've done with it. But somebody gave me a relic from the 80s of that. But yeah, it became a bit of a tradition to throw celery around. And um, you're, you're not allowed to do it anymore because they ban you if you take celery into a ground. But the best, the best example of celery throwing in my experience was in the, I think it was 2002, in the semi-final uh, of the cup against Fulham when we went up to Aston Villa, we went up to Villa Park. And I remember we drove up there and my brother-in-law, you know, had to stop on, on the way uh, to a supermarket to get loads and loads of celery. So we were, we were absolutely loaded up with celery and there was just mass chucking of celery everywhere. Now I, where I was sitting, I was in an upper tier, but it was, it was fairly close to the dugout, which was below me. And I remember chucking a piece. Now I don't know for sure, because it's very hard to tell from that far away. But John Tigana, the Fulham manager, did get hit on the head with a lump of celery and was rather cross. I like to think it was me that did it, but I couldn't couldn't uh, vouch for that, that's for sure. But there you go. Of course, Fabregas got hit by celery. Yeah, we were chatting uh, yeah. with this this fellow Chelsea fan yeah. about that, and he was recalling uh, a young Fabregas with that sort of mullet haircut <laughs> that he had at yeah. the time over in the corner trying to take a corner kick and just getting celery lobbed at him. I remember being at the FA Cup, sorry, the Carling Cup final, in Cardiff when Theo Walcott scored his first ever goal for Arsenal. And then we of course lost two, one to Chelsea and the celery was out in yeah full force that day. That yeah. was, I think my only experience of visually like actually seeing it's it. In brilliant. The yeah, yeah. I mean, we lost, so it wasn't a brilliant day in any way. No, but the celery, so it's just great fun. <laughs> no, no it's, it's, they look like they were having a good time. Yeah. Um, I did, um, I did mention a, a game and uh, it's, it's a, it's a good one. It's um, probably my favorite game to, to present as um, the last few times that we, we played this one, I've had the pleasure of collaborating with a good friend of the pod. And um, actually, Chidge, as a, as a radio person, you'll appreciate this. He's a, fe he's a fellow radio person. He's a DJ from Radio Rochdale. That's Adam Sparrow. And um, this game is, of course, pick that one out. So I'm going to be playing some original commentary for you guys that I've managed to get Adam Sparrow to record. And from the commentary, Joe and Chidge, you're going to be guessing which memorable goal is being described. So today, they're Chelsea-related. And of course, um, Adam Sparrow, who is not just me, sat on my couch doing an off-brand Alan Partridge impression. He's given me a bunch of prompts in case you guys need help. So I'll have clues for you if you need them. And then as well, if you're listening to the podcast play along, 
So here's the first clip. The game is level as we approach the end of regular time, but it's the away side knocking on the door, and their main man is working his way through the middle. They can't get the ball off him, and now he's laid it off to his teammate, but he said, you can't keep that, I'm just lending it to you. Give it here. So it's the danger man back on the ball, and now he's bursting down the wing and starts to slalom towards the area. He's weaving in and out of defenders like he's on a moped and the opposition are cars stuck in traffic. That's absolutely chocker. The travelling supporters are on their feet in anticipation behind the goal as it opens up for him now to hit from a tight angle. And he buries it! He didn't need a shovel! He just needed... his foot! Okay, so... Um, like I said, that was not me doing a funny voice uh, recording those commentaries. That was our good mate Adam Sparrow of Radio Rochdale. But which goal do you think Adam was talking about, guys? As, as a, well, I'm going to hazard a guess here. No pun intended. <laughs> Actually, pun in, intended. I think that's the goal against Liverpool in the Caribou Cup a couple of years ago. Yeah, you've nailed it. It's, um, of course, um, Thank you. <laughs> Adam, like I said, who is not me. Um, chose that one but I was watching it uh, back recently that goal and it's such a good goal he picks it up he's not really doing a whole lot I think he lays it off to yeah teammate and then obviously he lends it to him he just wants it brilliant back. goal takes on the entire Liverpool team was, was that was that real commentary that was um, yeah like I said our, our good friend from Radio Rochdale Adam Sparrow who again <laughs> I have to reiterate is not me um, okay. <laughs> uh, right. so let's see what Adam what else Adam has for us um, you did well on that one I've got two or I should say Adam rather has two more so let's see ball on the left with the Frenchman swings it in towards the edge of the area where the little playmaker chests it forward Poof. Schwarzenegger himself would have been proud of that pectoral control I tell you what and now it's back heel flicked on by the other midfielder and it's made its way to the striker who side foots home on the volley that goal was a thing of beauty just had to check to make sure the groundsman hasn't laid the pitch with hot lava because the way they kept the ball in the air before that finish <laughs> you wouldn't know yeah i think that's um i think it's lampard scoring against uh it might have been norwich but it was robin robin was involved and they were like keeping it yeah it's that one it's it's not that one although I wonder that one. How similar i think i wonder if joe has a has an idea um i've definitely got a bunch of clues because adam's giving me a heads Is up it? So. It wasn't against Bolton, was it? it well, I was going to say it's at a ground that Chelsea liked to win the Premier League at. So, yes, it was at the Reebok. Yeah. I forget who scored. Was it Lampard scored it? or It's Drogba. Who oh, oh, yeah. Called the striker score. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, Anelka's on the left. He whips it to the edge of the yeah. area. Deco, yeah. who I think must have had, what, just one, maybe two seasons with you guys, lays it off. Yeah. He does a flick and then Drogba. And the, the, whole, the cool thing is that the ball doesn't really touch the ground because they, having said that, okay. though, the Norwich one, I, I don't know if I remember that. Um, but that sounds like a good one as well. It was very similar. Lots of kind of... Just just for context, everyone listening, I'm, that's my dog. <laughs> Sorry. It wasn't me, honestly. But um, I'm not that rough. Uh, but anyway, yeah, I, it's, 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 I can't remember who it was. I'm sure it was against Norwich, but there were a lot of flicks going on between Duff and Robin and Lampard. But, uh, you know, I'm rub I, I'm at, I've actually got a really awful memory for pretty much anything. So it's amazing that I can even remember that much. Well, there's just one more. And um, those other ones have been sort of positive memories for Chelsea fans. We'll see. This one is, again, Chelsea-related, but have a listen. Thrown on the left-hand side, we're in the wrong half of the pitch as far as the home fans are concerned. There's not much time left to turn things around now, but they've got some defending to do first. The ball is launched into play towards the forward, and he's cushioned it down for his fellow strike partner. 
And this has dropped beautifully for him, like one of those acrobats from Cirque du Soleil, but instead they've missed the hanging ring and have tragically yet whimsically fallen. Oh wow! Did he put his foot through that? That shot's trajectory almost seemed to defy the laws of physics. And that keeper must not have been too keen on science in his school days either, because he looks like he has absolutely no clue what's just happened. Well, okay. I, I, I think it might be Henderson's goal for, uh, for Liverpool. That was a banger, but this is another... You, you're, I mean, obviously you're onto something in the sense that it's a goal against Chelsea, but no, this is another good goal scored by uh, a player who we haven't seen in the Premier League for a while, but he sort of lit it up for a season or two, maybe. Well, was it, is it the Newcastle goal, Cissé, where he scored it from the, the left-hand oh, side? What a goal Happy Cissé, yes, it is indeed that one where he sort of with I, the outside of his foot, and then it, it's slightly yeah. opposite. It's similar to that Henri goal against Bartes from the free kick where he flicks it up and then volleys it in yeah. the sense that it just curves crazily. And then Czech is just on the ground sort of laying there for a minute afterwards. Yeah, I was I was there for that. Oh yeah, I had I, I was right behind it, so I knew it was going in from the moment he hit it. It was horrible. <laughs> I mean, sometimes there's been times in stadiums when you kind of do stand up and applaud an opposition goal. I'm not necessarily saying that this would have been one of those times, but yeah, how, what were you feeling? You said you could see it on its way in. I think it was like a last minute winner as well. It was I think, just yeah. I, I can't remember now what the score was. But I think from was, the research I did, it was a two nil game, and they were already one nil yeah. up. And then yeah, it was a w- the winning goal. And then that just took the complete wind out of your sails, I can imagine. Yeah, yeah. It was just bonkers, you know. You just shouldn't score goals like that. It should be illegal, really. <laughs> it really was crazy. In fact, I think it did win goal of the season. Did uh, it really? I didn't know that. It might have, yeah. And then I think he, what, refused to play for Newcastle because they had, like, a betting sponsor on their yeah. kit. Longer, like, it was longer I think, yeah, yeah. Yeah, interesting guy, right. Pappy Cece. <laughs> Indeed. So, so what did I do? I got what one and a half, or did I get two out of three? We'll round. We, I'd say we can round up on this show, so we'll call okay. it two out of three. <laughs> yeah. All right, it's not bad. Yeah, it's not, <laughs> not bad at all. Yeah, between the the two of you, you guys, you got them. So, um, yeah, go on, Joe. Nice. Well, yeah. Um, as we've been mentioning in this podcast a bit, we um, our last podcast was also with a Chelsea fan, so just days after speaking to a Chelsea fan about this upcoming match we have, um, as we, Tottenham, have um, with Chelsea tomorrow at the time of the recording, here we are again. So um, we're now less than 24 hours away. It's a, it's a massive game for both teams, um, especially now that Liverpool have drawn today with Brighton. Um, re- you really feel whoever wins this one, if someone does go on to win it, is really putting a marker down for a, a proper title um, challenge. And obviously, as a Spurs fan, I'm very much hoping we can get the three points and really genuinely challenge for the title. But, um, but Chidge, are you worried that Mourinho's Spurs are going to um, beat Frank's Chelsea or are Chelsea going to beat Spurs again at Stamford Bridge? Unfortunately, it happens a lot. So, yeah, what do you think? What's happening tomorrow? Well, it doesn't happen that lot that Tottenham beat Chelsea. So, therefore, I'm I'm always worried because it's just such a horrible feeling. Thankfully, not one that I've had to endure too many times in the last thirty odd years or so. Um, I think it's I think it's going to be fascinating. It's a massive. It's you know, it's always a massive match. I mean, it's without doubt, um, you know, the biggest match of the season. You know, for for Chelsea fans, you know, home or away, but particularly at home. Because they are they are always our most hated rivals, and you just have to beat Tottenham. Um, I think it's even more massive now because you're right. You know, the winner tomorrow will be at the top of the table. Um, do I think that that's a, an issue at the moment? No, I think Frank. What Frank said in the press conference yesterday is spot on. It's way too early. 
you know, tot tottering, some totteringham's days, not until March. So there's plenty of time. But it doesn't matter. You know, we could be in the fourth division and I still want to beat Spurs. And so would all the Chelsea players. And so would all the Chelsea fans. So in a sense, it's, that's a bit of a sideshow. Um, I mean, how, you know, goodness me. I mean, there's so much we could talk about with this, isn't there? But I think, I think you know, the fact that we got Frank in charge, you know, I mean, I'll give you an example of this. All right, Joe. I remember when we were absolutely pony, and I think it, it was it was it was possibly after Jose got got the sack in December, and we had Gus Hooding in charge. I can't remember, oh, yes. yeah. but we played Bournemouth away, and I, and I was really very lucky to get a ticket because they're like hen's teeth because it's such a tiny ground, and we beat them three nil or something three one, and. I mean, you know, Chelsea's away support is brilliant, by the way. I'm really, really hardcore, very loud. And we spent 20 minutes basically chanting aggressively. There was a sinister edge to it. But we chanted at the players because we had Tottenham that week. And I think it might have been the famous 2-2. Yeah, when we That's denied you. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And we were basically chanting, beat effing Tottenham, you better beat effing Tottenham. And that went on for 20 minutes. And it was, it was, it was sinister. It wasn't like, ha ha, let's all have some fun. It was, if you don't beat them, there's going to be some trouble. <laughs> you know? So that's kind of what it means. It's massive, absolutely massive. And Frank Lampard, you know, we had Hooding Hiddink as manager. Now he would have got that. But, you know, the likes of Hiddink, Conte, Sarri, all of these, man, they don't get that. They, Scolari, you know, they don't get it. Frank gets it. He understands what it means. You know, he's an English guy. He grew up, you know, his father played for West Ham. West Ham Tottenham's a big rivalry. You know, he gets that culture of how important it is to beat your nearest rivals. So he will have drummed that into the players. And, of course, we've got so many English players playing for us at the moment. They will all get it too. So I'm really kind of... You know, I'm very happy that we got somebody like Frank Lampard in charge. You can really instill in the players what it means uh, tomorrow. So there you go. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting. I am I actually think, I mean, we beat you on penalties in the Carabao Cup. And I don't think that in itself is a big deal. But I think mentally for the Tottenham team, that could end up being a big deal tomorrow. We have, in theory, beaten you once this season. We're on a good roll. Kane's looking unbelievable we've got son just as well i mean the whole i'm, I'm very i'm just, all i'm going to say is i'm very excited for tomorrow yeah. i've been excited before and we've lost but i've got a strangely very good feeling about this well, match and, and so you should because you know you beat man city last week um you know i think it's really interesting isn't it you know to quote oscar wilde rumors of uh, Mourinho's demise are somewhat premature I mean, everybody thought he was a busted flush. Yes. Um, but I'll be honest with you, you know, I think he's he's beginning to do a pretty good job at Tottenham. Um, we talked about it. We do a preview show on a Friday and we had a, a Spurs mate of mine on that show. And we were we were asking him, you know, we had a very interesting kind of, not an argument, but a debate really about, you know, Spurs, of course, have always clung on to this idea of playing attractive football. And now they've got Mourinho in charge who... You know he has no he has no problem shit housing a win. It's it's his trademark, and of course, as Chelsea fans, never ever never ever gave a damn about that. You know, apart from it got boring sometimes when we go two nil up, you could just go down the pub because you weren't going to lose. But you know, I, I love shit housing a win. It's fantastic. I had no problem because actually, what I like as a supporter who grew up watching Chelsea lose a lot, I like winning. 
you know and actually ricky to be fair to him was saying much the same actually he said look i don't he said do you know what i don't care if Mourinho gets us winning and we win something we win some silverware this year i don't care how we do it and i mean fair play to him that's that's the attitude to have i think but they're a good side joe there's no doubt about it they really really are but what i would say about the caribou cup match um in that match we we didn't have silver playing or kante or havertz or ziesh or abraham and and since the krasnodar match at half time and the krasnodar match when frank went to 4-3-3 chelsea have looked a completely different side you know they look they look i mean with a, with you the top uh, goal scorers i think at the moment in the league um, but we've just had all these clean sheets as well. So the defence looks really, really solid. Um, and the 4-3-3 really suits us. Kante's back in his best position. Uh, well, as a, you could argue about that, but he's, he, I think he is much better as the deep-lying central midfielder. You've got Mountain, I think, is the position in which you get the best out of him as a number eight because he's got such a good engine. I think Havertz, Havertz playing deeper works really, really well. And I mean, the interesting thing for me, actually, is how well Tammy Abraham is doing in the central role, because most people would have said he's not going to get a look in this season with Werner coming. But actually having Werner out left, being able to cut inside and working well with Tammy, who's learning, I think, a lot more about how to hold the ball up. I mean, and then you see, I mean, you know, I could go on and on and on. I mean, this this potentially, um, you know, if they can carry this on is one of the, you know, one of the best, most exciting Chelsea sides I've seen for years. That's how good they are potentially. So, and that's a massively different team to the one that drew one all in the Caribou Cup with you. So, yeah. Oh yeah, no, I think, I think, yeah, the the teams that day were very different. I just, I'm hoping there's, but I think the thing we know with Tottenham is, as the years have gone by, have the teams really believed that they can win these big matches, win ultimately trophies? I, I'm hoping that mental edge now of beating Chelsea under Mourinho because we lost twice to Chelsea yeah. in the Premier League. Mourinho's oh. never beat Mourinho's never beaten Frank Lampard as a manager. Yeah. Either at no. Chelsea or Derby. Yeah. Well, I guess aside from the Carabao Cup one. But um but yeah. As no. as Mourinho would say, that doesn't count on penalties. <laughs> that would have been that's a draw in Mourinho's book. Yeah, no, that, that that is true. It that's counts for me though. That's <laughs> that's back to that Charlton game. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, oh my gosh. Yeah, he really, he can say whatever he wants, Mourinho, can't he? Oh yeah, he, he, he does say what he wants, doesn't he? But yeah, Kai, I think you've got some Chelsea questions to keep yeah, this going. Yeah. No, I mean, I as well, obviously as the neutral, I'm looking forward to that game. I think um, with Son and Kane on the form that they're in, it's going to be interesting to see if Mendy can kind of um, continue, maybe get inside their head, considering that he's looking like he's almost like Petr Cech, the second coming. Um doesn't really like to let the ball in the back of the net, but onto like a bit more general Chelsea talk, um, moving away from this weekend's fixture that by the time this episode's um, released will have already happened and we'll know if Joe or Chidge's predictions were correct. But yeah, down the years, um, Chelsea, obviously they bought a lot of players and um, now that the transfer ban has been lifted, they're back to their old ways. Uh, worked the first time under Mourinho and it's looking positive, as Chidge was saying, under Frank again, now with, uh, with the new recruits. But um, of course, in the past, not all of the signings that Chelsea have made, like any club, they've, they've not all come good. Uh, a few, though, did reach the potential that they were probably hoping they would, but not at Chelsea. And those are going to be players like Mohamed Salah, Kevin De Bruyne and Romelu Lukaku, most notably. So whilst none of them played too many games for Chelsea, um, Chidge, I'm assuming that you probably saw enough of those three players 
to form an opinion on them by the time that they were sold. So yeah, just briefly before we jump into a final section soon, did you agree with their sales at the time? Yeah. Lukaku, De Bruyne yeah. and um, yeah. Yeah. Salah, yeah? Absolutely right. I mean, I think we still had, I think Drogba came back, didn't he, uh, when we got rid of, well, I mean, look, I think Lukaku was really unfortunate because basically Mourinho binned him off because he missed that uh, penalty in the Super Cup final against Bayern Munich. I think there might have been a bit of an attitude thing. But I mean, with, with Mourinho, that's always a problem. I mean, look what's happening with Deli Alley at the moment. He does not like his authority challenged at all. Now, as for the other two, um, Salah and De Bruyne were absolutely pony. They were, I mean, I used to joke about it because I sit in gate 17, which is kind of in the, the upper tier above the corner flag. And for the entire time when De Bruyne was around, I used to joke on the fan cast that, that he was actually really the ball boy because there was this little ginger ball boy down by our touchline. But I saw him play a few games and he was rubbish. He, he just well, he just he just looked way out of his depth. Uh, Salah, who an- another in the long line of Chelsea players who were bought because they scored against us when he played for Basel, turned up and again looked completely hopeless and he couldn't hit a cow's ass with a banjo. Completely out of his depth. Um, but what I would say, it, it, I think it's a really difficult a difficult argument really because on the one hand you can absolutely say that those two players clearly were they were mismanaged you know that actually had they been given more opportunities had they been given some time and patience you know a good manager should have seen the potential in those players all right but there is another side to that and the other side to that is that De Bruyne was quite mouthy and he wanted to play all the time, and he had a, he's got a very high opinion of himself. That's just not going to go down well with uh, Jose Mourinho. And then if you look at the players that we had at the time in both of those occasions, you know, there were better players that had done it all and were doing the job for us, you know? And I'm afraid that that's football. Do I regret um, letting them go? Well, yeah. I mean, look at how good Salah is now. Look at how, I mean, De Bruyne is one of the best players in the league, if not the world. Of course I regret that. But, you know, that's football. And, you know, somebody other than me makes those decisions and you kind of have to live with them. That is definitely football, as you mentioned. And I'm sure Joe's probably not without players like that at Spurs. At Arsenal, the name Serge Gnabry comes to mind as someone who obviously all of our fans would love to see in our team these days. Um, But I guess just one player more recently who has left the Blues and is looking like he's, well, he's really making a name for himself in the Premier League, um, Tarek Lamptey. Obviously, you've got Rhys James, who's a brilliant, I think he's a brilliant right back. Uh, you know, it's it's crazy that England have Aaron Wan-Bissaka, Trent Alexander-Arnold and Reese James, but then there's this other fella, Tarek Lamptey. How do Chelsea fans, because this is a little bit fresher, or you, I guess, more specifically, how do you feel about that one? Well, um, again, I'm, I'm sad that he went because he's clearly a hugely talented player, but he's not as good as Reese James. And Reese James is 21 or something like that. He's, he's pretty young. I think he's 21. Uh, and Reese James could be Chelsea's right back for the next 10 years. You know, so, you know, sometimes you have to, I mean, this is the interesting thing, and I'm sure, you know, you're on Twitter a lot like I am. And, you know, I mentioned perspective earlier on. There's such a complete dissonance on, on Twitter. You know, people go, oh, you can't sell Lamptey. He's going to be, well, he is going to be brilliant. But so what are you going to do? Not play Reese James? Have a, give your head a wobble, you know? Sometimes you have to deal with reality. And fair play to Lamptey. He's looked at the situation. He's thought, I'm not going to get much game time here and I'm bloody good and I need to go and play football. So I'm going to go and do that. And fair play to him. And I think he's going to be a fantastic player, you know, and hey, you know, it wouldn't be beyond Chelsea to have him back at some stage. But 
I've got no axe to grind with him there. I mean, I think in, 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 you know, if I was in his situation as a kid, I might well have done the same. Yeah, no, he certainly looks like a quality footballer who, well, I mean, I wouldn't be, wouldn't be too unhappy if he ended up at Spurs one day. Yeah. Just have to wait and see. But um, we've now got another sort of game prediction thing um, coming up. And um, the name of this is based on a player that's actually played for, for all of the clubs that um, we support. It's based on William Gallas's name. So it's called, <laughs> is the, I guess, Gallas <laughs> half full or is the Gallas half empty? Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to get everybody to um, provide their predictions for where they think Spurs, Chelsea and Arsenal will finish in the league this season and whether or not um, they're going to win any trophies or not. So obviously as a Spurs fan, I'm very hopeful that that um, prophecy will finally be fulfilled. But we'll start with Kai Tell. So Kai, what are your predictions for all of the London clubs we support? Sure. I'll... um... Lead with Arsenal, because that's my mo- my least controversial opinion, I guess. And the one that I'm most entitled to, I suppose. <laughs> but we had LeGrove on, who's an Arsenal blogger and podcaster. And he said that fifth was sort of in his head, spitting distance of the top four, he described it as. So that's honestly about as much as I think we can ask for. And hopefully if it does come down to um, the last day, hopefully we can spit further than the rest of them and end up in, in fourth. But um, beyond that, I guess, yeah, like I said, fifth. And I guess... FA Cup has been quite kind to us recently, so maybe I'll just throw an FA Cup in there, probably against Chelsea, to be honest with you. Yeah, so I'll say Arsenal are going to finish fifth and then they're going to beat Chelsea in the FA Cup final. Um, Chelsea, I think, are going to come third and not win a single trophy, in my opinion, and Spurs are going to come second, actually, and I think that they're going to lose in the Carabao Cup final. (laughs) Well, that's my hope. Um, Joe, what do you make of that? And what do you make of the uh, yeah your opinion on the prospects for these teams? Yeah, no, interesting. All interesting predictions. Uh, mine are slightly different, not too different. Maybe on occasion different, but I'll start with Spurs, the mighty Spurs, my team. So um, I'm going to be a bit vague here because I don't want to get too excited, but I do think we're going to finish in the top three this season. I'm very confident about that. And this is where I guess I'm putting my neck out on the line a bit more. We are going to win at least one trophy this year, I think, at least. So you can see where I'm, I'm going with this. It's early days. It's stupid me getting this excited, but I am excited at the moment. Um, so that's what I think about Spurs. Now, Chelsea, um, I do think Chelsea will finish in the top four, but I think it will be fourth. Um, I think that Liverpool, whilst they've got a lot of injuries, are going to be up there and could even win it again. I think City are going to climb up the table and I'll be a bit biased and just assume Spurs are finishing above Chelsea. So that would leave Chelsea with fourth. Trophies, they're not winning the Champions League, but may you know you never know. They might sneak a, an FA Cup, but I, I don't think they will this year. I think this could be a trophy this year for Chelsea. And then finally, I'm going to be very kind to Arsenal and say seventh because I've looked <laughs> at the table, and I think that's being it, it's 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 nice for me having grown up with Arsenal always being so good. I've looked at the table and looked at teams, and I think they do well to finish seventh. Kaitel is no doubt going to have something to say about that, and yeah. Oh, to be nice, I'll say, yeah, you'll beat Chelsea in the FA Cup final. Why the hell not? I'll hold my tongue for a minute and let our guest give his <laughs> Yeah, so, um, so Chidge, yeah. what's, um, what's your prediction? Well, I'll start with you lot first, because that would be fair, wouldn't it? I, I think Arsenal will get a Europa spot. I don't know what's going on with Arsenal, because I quite like Arteta, and I think you've got Me some too. good players there. But 
he just uh, the the I mean, you know, I can't understand what's going on with them. They've got Aubameyang and they can't score goals. So I think he's got a bit of work to do there. You know, I think you're a few a few good players short of a of a top four side at the moment. So I think six would be about right, actually, Kai. Um, and uh, well, I mean, I I think he might get to the FA Cup final, but I'll get onto that in a minute. Spurs. Uh, well, who knows? I mean, you know, logic tells me that at some stage in the season you are going to go Spursy because it's so much in your DNA. Or Mourinho will self-combust. Or, you know, I, I, I tell you what, what I, I think Spurs are the best they've been for a long time, actually. And I, I think the fact that you've got Mourinho in charge does worry me because he knows what it takes to get teams over the line. I mean, he got a, he got a pretty poor Chelsea side over the line in 2015. So he knows how to do that. The thing that would count against Spurs for me is I, I just don't think that you have the depth of squad really to sustain that. And and remember how many games we're playing at the moment. It's taking a toll on a lot of clubs already. I mean, look at Klopp's wigging out today, for example. So I don't see you winning the title. I do see you. I think what you'll do, what you'll do is you'll win the Caribou Cup and then Jose can say, oh, but I, I won you a trophy, you know, and then he can <laughs> pretend that he's been, done a good job and then he'll bugger off or self-combust like he normally does. Um, so where would you finish? Well, I'll, I'll, maybe if I talk about Chelsea a bit, I can put that into the context because, you know, I honestly do believe that we are creating something quite special down at Chelsea at the moment. And I think they're going to buy again in January. I really do. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised to see Alba or or, uh, or Declan Rice come along in January. I still think we're a few players short, you know, of a of a title winning side. To be honest, uh, I worry about the the fatigue setting in because of the number of fixtures and how how quickly they they're coming. And I think that's a worry. And of course, you do have to factor in, you know, Frank is relatively inexperienced at, at, at this level of management. But I just think, you know. It's a bit. It reminds me of what happened when, Con, funnily enough, I was there as well, Kai. When when we got walloped three 0 by Arsenal, and Conte changed it at half time, and then we went on that winning run uh, of about 13, 14, 15 games or whatever, and that actually pretty much won us the title. I think. I think a lot will depend on the others, and I I I do wonder about Liverpool. I mean, if you're a manager and you're constantly wigging out on tv it's like kevin keegan when he melted down i mean it's not that extreme but that gets into players heads because they start making excuses you know you don't want your manager well i mean don't know if they want it or not but if your manager's out there all the time saying oh it's all too much and you're we're playing too early and we're getting injuries that gets into the player's head Mm. you know you start making excuses as a manager players will start making excuses for you and i'm i don't think they'll win it this year i've got i mean i know they're good but I, I, you know, I, I do wonder if something, something is brewing at Liverpool. City, again, I mean, this is the worst start they've had to a season for years. Maybe, uh, maybe Guardiola is more focused on the Champions League this year. So, you know, what I'm saying is, a year ago, we would have said it's City or Liverpool. And if you don't say that, you're nuts and you shouldn't follow football. I think there's now doubt over whether Liverpool or City will win the title, actually. And that could play into Chelsea's hands. That could play into Spurs' hands. But as I said, I, I, don't, I don't think we're quite ready yet. I think, I think if we go on this tra- trajectory, next year might well be our year. But I wouldn't be surprised if we finish second. I really, really wouldn't. And I think we'll absolutely get top four. And I think what will be interesting, I think it will be a toss-up between Spurs and, and Chelsea as to who finishes 
you know, uh, first, second or third or fourth even. I mean, it's, I think it's really hard to call at this stage, to be honest. Um, I think we will win a trophy because I think we'll win the FA Cup because we were so mugged off last year against that horrible lot in red uh, with injuries and stuff and poor refereeing. And it's just such a Chelsea thing to do to go and lose it one year and then go back the next year and win it. And Frank's got such a super record in the FA Cup. So I wouldn't be surprised if we go and win the FA Cup this year. Champions League, I mean, you know, we've done all right, but I mean, you know, you just you just have to play Bayern Munich on a on a on a on a good day for them, or you know, you know, Barcelona on a good day, and and you're out. So that's a bit of a lottery, the Champions League, and I think we need to nail down a trophy here, FA Cup or league, before we start thinking about that. It's just um, it's interesting because obviously, you know, we're all we're inevitably going to be speaking about Chelsea, Spurs and Arsenal and then Liverpool and City cropped up in the conversation. But I just love the fact that Manchester United's name has not been mentioned one time since just right now it leaving my mouth. They're just so irrelevant these days, which is brilliant. Um, I mean, yeah. maybe, not for, maybe they can, you know, launch an attack on it. But I just, I don't know. I'm, in, I'm certainly enjoying that. It goes hand in hand with Arsenal being a bit rubbish that I kind of have to take a little bit of joy from other teams also not being as good as they once were. But um, yeah, I think... You guys were pretty accurate with Arsenal predictions and whatnot. Like top four is definitely wishful thinking at this point in time. You mentioned Arteta and kind of the positive start he had and then uh, wheels coming off or whatnot recently. I don't know what's going on. That's probably a whole nother podcast. But um, yeah, I mean, hopefully if I'll take an Arsenal-Chelsea final, if that's what we're agreeing on and then the winner is TBD, then I, I think in my lifetime, we played you three times in the FA Cup final and won all three, so... Yeah, um, I mean, I, I remember Kai years and years and years before Mourinho turned up. I used to, I remember a, 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 a replay. I, oh, oh God, Abue scored, I think. This was an uh, epic replay. Yeah, we lost 3-1 at home. And I, I was so angry and frustrated. I was almost in tears because it's just like, we never, never beat Arsenal. God damn it. And then the next year we beat you when it really counted uh, yeah. in your Invincibles year and we knocked you out of the Champions League and it all just went oh, away. And then yeah. ever since, it's been pretty much us, you know, um, apart from last last year, obviously. So, yeah. Yeah, that was a we real have to go through the pain to get the joy, Kai. That's how it works. <laughs> well, I'm certainly going through the pain, that's for sure. So, yeah, hopefully there's a pot of gold on the other end. Um, but, yeah, I think um, it's scary to consider Spurs, obviously, Chidge, you've mentioned um, Spurs as sort of like the, the communal enemy, the, the evil force in, in North London that Chelsea and Arsenal fans both detest. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I, can't, I can't deny the fact that they look good. Kane and Son, you mentioned the fixtures piling up as well, Chidge. Essentially, if they can stay fit, Kane and Son, they are the two best players in the Premier League, arguably, right now, or at least the two most effective players in the Premier well, League. Well, the, right the, the two best players at Spurs. <laughs> yeah. yeah, fair enough. I mean... He's, Mourinho's got them working together in a way that's getting results. And they bought, they bought into Mourinho finally in a way that I think, and that's why last week was so exciting in that second half against City. It felt like a team all working together. And yeah, the, the only thing I'd say about us, if we can keep, if we can have a good little run now, we've got a big run of games, get to January and then maybe invest in a centre half. I have no idea if we'll do it. I just feel it's the only thing that worries me at the moment. Toby's out for a few weeks. It looks like it's going to be Eric Dyer and this you can just get, uh, just get Rudiger in January. You're good. Well, there was rumours he was going to come on deadline day. I don't know how that would go down at Spurs, but we certainly need someone. Um, whether it's Rudiger or not, I don't know. But yeah, I'm, um, I'm very excited. But having supported Tottenham, 
my whole life. I know they'll find ways to disappoint me eventually, but I'm enjoying the ride for uh, the moment. I guess one question before we do, yeah, sort of wrap wrap things up. Uh, Chid, you mentioned being pleasantly surprised at Tammy Abraham's reintroduction into the into the side. Obviously, I think when Werner was signed, people would have assumed, like you mentioned as well, that he's going to play through the middle, and you probably would have been hoping for Ziyech and Havertz and Pulisic to all be fit so that one, two of those guys could be on the wings around Werner or something like that. Um, do you see Werner ending up in the middle by the end of this season, or is Frank going to sort of ride the wave that is this Tammy through the middle and Bruner on the left. Well, I think, I think the, the key to that is Pulisic, you know, because if Pulisic is fit, he plays on the left and he's right. He's a He's brilliant. I mean, he, he was, you know, getting on for being our best player last season. And, you know, even though he didn't play for most, well, for quite a lot of matches, I think that's the worry about Pulisic. He looks like he's got glass ankles, which was mm. really worrying. And he, he's such a talent. I mean, I just love watching players like that. Um, but if he's fit, you, you, you've got to stick him out on the left, uh, which means you can't have Werner on the left. I mean, it's going to be a really, I mean, this, this is where you earn your money as a manager, I think. And this is going to be the most interesting thing, whether you're a Chelsea fan or if you're on the outside looking in, in terms of how, how Frank is learning and how he's doing, because those are the decisions that make or break a manager. And he's kind of stumbled on something that really, I mean, maybe I'm doing a bit of a disservice to say stumbled on it, but he's found something that really, really, really works. I mean, as I said, you know, it's not just the, the way the defence is playing. And of course, that has a lot to do with Kante being back in that role. But it's also to do with the way that Abraham and Werner are playing. You know, and Abraham is absolutely crucial to that. And I, and I, and I love the fact that, that I mean, not, you know, honestly, a lot of Chelsea supporters would say, if they were being really honest, and if you had, you know, the, their arm twisted behind their back, they would say, well, we don't really think Tammy's good enough to be Chelsea's number nine, even though he scored 15 goals last season. And yet, what I love about Tammy is that he is learning and he is improving and his all-round play is getting better. And you can't ask for more than that. And he still scored. I mean, that goal he scored against Rem was superb. Proper striker's goal. Can't ask for more than that. So I quite like it the way it is. But we, are, we have got a problem when Pulisic comes back as to what yeah. Frank will have to do. Clearly, Tammy has been learning from uh, Olivier Giroud on the, on the training pitch. That's the and only I, <laughs> I don't want him to go either because I think he's fantastic. I love Oli Giroud. What he's a pro. A, yeah. Such an underrated player. I think yeah. he's the second highest scoring Frenchman ever yeah. in the history of the national team and behind Thierry Henry. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> more than Platini. He's only about seven goals off uh, Henry. I mean, he's brilliant. Absolutely yeah. brilliant. No, I, I think he might go in January. I have a feeling he might. He's too good to sit on the bench that one way or another. So three heroes yeah. are coming up, aren't they? So it sounds like what's he called? Deschamps putting on under a bit of pressure to get out of there. But we'll, we'll see. We'll see. He might be fresher though if he stays on the bench. Yeah, I mean, he certainly is useful for France in his sort of like specialty role, and being fresh for that would help. Maybe. Um, yeah, big fans of of Giroud on on this podcast. Maybe not Joe, but <laughs> otherwise. Um, that, like I mentioned, sort of does bring us to the end of um, of today's podcast. So, yeah, a special, or well, big thanks rather, I guess, to to Joe, and then a special thank you to to our guest Chidge. It's been yeah, an absolute pleasure having you. We really appreciate you taking the time out to join us, and hope that you enjoyed being our guest as well. It's been it's been so much fun. Really, really enjoyed it, chaps. Really have. So, thank you for asking me. Yeah, no, like I said again, our our pleasure. Really, really enjoyed it. Um, before we do let you go, Chidge, how can our followers uh, or our listeners rather follow you? And um, when they do that, what are they going to be looking forward to? <laughs> That's a good question. 
well, I mean, we're on Twitter, obviously, at Chelsea Fancast. I'm at Stamford Chidge, uh, but the Chelsea Fancast goes out on a Monday. We do it live, actually, and we broadcast it live as well on a, on a platform called Mixler, but it goes out at 7 o'clock on a Monday and 7 o'clock on a Friday, uh, and it's on Acast and iTunes and Spotify, all the usual places. Um, and we've got a website, ChelseaFancast.com, as well. Lovely. Well, as I said, thank you again, Chidge. It really was a lot of fun having you on. Um, from our end of things, look out for new episodes of the podcast. Those are coming out twice a week, Mondays and Fridays. Uh, you'll find them on all your favorite podcast streaming services. Uh, best way to keep updated with all of that in real time is going to be following us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at United Mates FP. And then we're on YouTube as well these days, in case you'd like to put some faces to these voices. Just search for the United Mates Football Podcast. Otherwise, until next time, everyone, take care of yourselves and take care of each other. Goodbye.